0: You are now listening to The Sooner Surge. Clear
1: Out Clear Out joined us today. We really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no problem at all.
1: Hey, so so we're joined right now by Ross Dellinger, college football writer, sports illustrated, and man, it's been a crazy few weeks for sure. I'm sure you've been extremely busy. Just kinda tell us the last few weeks, kinda how it's all transpired with OU and Texas and the SEC, man.
0: Yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty crazy. You know, I uh, I've been following this story for for quite some time, uh, trying to figure out what's going on with with the situation, and it really goes all the way back to um, probably the fall, early fall, October or so, um, when things kind of got going. With uh, I think it was around that time that you know Oklahoma and Texas presidents at a at a board meeting kind of made clear that they wanted to be out of the league a year, a year or so early. And, uh, I think that was partly triggered by, um, the, uh, the four new members in the big 12 coming in and, and starting a year earlier than expected. Um, and so it kind of went from there in October, November and, and in December in early December, um, the, uh, the ADs uh, met at, uh, in, in Las Vegas, the big 10 or big, 12 ADs and basically decided, you know, that it would be better if, you know, both parties would go their separate ways. Yeah. And then it just kind of came down to the networks, you know, and ESPN and Fox kind of coming to a compromise of some sort um, because Texas and Oklahoma obviously were bound by the TV deal that that runs through the 2024, 25 season. So they had to get through that. And there were some snags in that. And, you know, there was a couple of reports, I think a week before the news broke that they were leaving early, there were a couple of reports that they weren't leaving early. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that goes back to just some snags that happen in negotiations, you know, and it's the way these things go. You know, uh, you have two entities that don't like each other very much in Fox and ESPN. And they had a couple of breakdowns or or snags in, in the talks and they step away for a little while and they, and they come back, reconvene and, Get the deal done, and and that's kind of what happened. So yeah, it's been quite a long, kind of long saga to uh, to follow. And I actually thought it was going to go on for several more weeks. I, I the resolution came quicker than I had imagined. I thought it would more so be like into March, even April. So they got it done quickly.
2: Yeah, uh, with Ross, with the um the scheduling in the SEC now adding OU in Texas, just kind of what have you heard about? Uh, how that's going to look, or, or what do you? How do you think that's going to look, schedule wise?
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think they'll probably eventually go to nine conference games. Um, for years, the SEC has been at eight, but I think um, you know the the only real thing holding up the decision to go to to nine is will ESPN give them additional revenue for the additional inventory? You know, it'd be an,
1: mm-hmm. a ninth
0: conference game will be. Um, you know that that'll be uh, a lot more. I think it'll be what eight more, eight more games um, in total, and that's eight more SEC versus SEC games. So those are very valuable, and I think SEC administrators would like additional revenue for the additional inventory. So the question is, will ESPN give uh, additional revenue? I think the thought is they will, and if they do, I think you'll see the SEC go to nine games, and then. You know, then comes the decision on how uh, to what the format will be, which I think if they go tonight, it'll be the three six models. So you have three permanent opponents, and you have six rotational opponents. and it's a good model because what it does is allows each team to play every other team in the league once every uh, two years uh, mm-hmm. and twice, every four years, home and away. so it's it's a good setup. Um, I think the next, thing would be to who you know what who are the the three permanent opponents for each team which can really be um uh, a tricky situation and one that i'm sure will rile up several fan bases on who you know who are permanent opponents uh and i took a guess at it at a story posted last week and i just really took a guess at it i think they're probably going to base the, selecting the three permanents on, on three things. One, the geography and how close teams are to one another. Two, on the primary and secondary rivalries uh, that exist right now. And then three, on equity and fairness. Um, and, you know, the SEC, you could really kind of split the SEC into two groups, a top and a bottom, based on revenue, uh, just as far as money, uh, you know, athletic budgets, in historic success. Um so you've kind of got a top in the league and you kind of got a bottom. And they're gonna pair based probably based on trying to keep those fair. So if you're you know a team in the top of the league, which OU I think, you know, would be considered in that top eight, you'd play two top eights in one bottom for oh. your for your permanent opponents. And if you're in the bottom, you probably play two bottoms in one top. So I think that's how they're going to split it up. You know, Mm -hmm. like I said, I took a jab at it. Um, and usually picking, um, the first, the the first two permanents is easy. It's the third that gets tricky because the first two permanents usually are a primary and secondary rivalry. And I think like for OU, I had, um, Texas, of course, primary rivalry and I had Missouri. Um, Uh, being the border state and the old kind of Southwest conference and all that stuff. So old big 12, like rival, um, being the secondary, the third is again, the issue. And I had Florida in there. Um, And that seems like an odd matchup, but if you split the league up in the two halves and you, you, you go through that process that I just said about, about being fair and giving the top two and the bottom two all that stuff, you, you end up with a, a situation where, where, um, Oklahoma has to play another top team. You know, they get mm-hmm. Texas in the top and they get Missouri, who's in the bottom kind of eight, got to play a top team. And uh, you start getting eliminated. You start eliminating a lot of teams uh, when you start doing this. And Florida was the one that kind of was out there. And now none of this is set. This is just kind of a guess yeah. guess for me, but I would pretty strongly guess that Oklahoma will will have Texas in Missouri. Um, And then it's just kind of who number three is.
2: Yeah, Ross, uh, you know, a few years ago, Texas A&M refused to play Texas in a bowl game. Have you heard anything about like A&M, like not wanting to have Texas in their uh, schedule every year or OU even?
0: Well, um, you know, I think we it's pretty much been. Public that A&M in the first place, you know, didn't want Texas into the SEC. Uh, They were pretty clear on they wanted to be the only team from Texas in the SEC. So if we take that, uh, we probably can tether that to the fact that they probably don't want to play Texas every year. Um, As a few SEC officials have told me, if you invite Texas in the league and don't play Texas and Texas A&M every year, you know what are you doing? Uh, So. I, I think we're going to see Texas in, in Texas A&M play every year. Uh, uh, they'll be in their uh, you know, Texas A&M might fight about it, um, might push back against it, but I think we're going to see that, that happen every year. And it's because for, it, it's a few reasons, but, uh, you know, college sports has become a lot about money in big time matchups and that is a Big-time matchup that um, ESPN would be drooling over, I think, every year to uh, broadcast.
2: Yeah, and you've covered a lot of SEC football over the course of your career. You're Mississippi State alum, covered LSU a few years ago. So what are your honest thoughts on how OU is going to do in the conference?
0: Well, I think my thoughts right now would be – a little different than they were this time last year, given, given this past season and Lincoln Riley leaving and in all of that, um, you know, it's, it's been a pretty big question um, within the SEC of how, how will OU do, you know, how, who will, what current SEC team uh, will OU be kind of closest to when it comes to, success in the conference. Um, I I think some people would say in Arkansas, which OU fans probably wouldn't like because Arkansas, you know, is kind of up and down five and seven to eight and four sort of thing. And that's not what OU has, has historically been okay with. Uh, Some people would say Auburn. Some people, some people might even say, you know, uh, LSU. Uh, I don't know who they'll be, um, and it'll be interesting to see what will happen there because I know that uh, they have plans maybe to they, – they know that they're, they're going to need to enhance things, you know, uh, whether it be facilities or their athletic budget to kind of – before this move is made. Okay. Um, so I, I think those things are, are important. Um, I think the SEC money, when it starts coming in, will certainly help them uh, get to a good point um but it's hard it's hard to say you know I I uh <laughs> I would guess that uh OU fans would hope that they would keep a similar success rate that they've had in the big 12 uh really before the last this past season mm-hmm. but that's going to be really hard I mean it's going to be much harder to go 11 and 1 and in 12 and 0 uh in the SEC it it is and uh it's going to be really interesting to see both how both do, because we know that Texas has gone 10, 12 years with uh, without having really consistent high level success uh, in the big 12. So it'll be interesting to see how they'll handle the move as well.
2: Yeah. We've talked about the OU and Texas to the sec going on in 2024, which there's a lot of changes to college football in 2024. You talk about, USC and UCLA to the big 10 and then the 12 team playoffs. So I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on like the changes in college football. How, how do you think those will impact the game? And then specifically the 12 team playoff, do you think this is a really good change for college football? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the
0: expansion uh, was necessary for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, more inclusion, you know, we, we still might have the same teams in the championship game and we might have the same champions, Um It might be Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State. Um, It might. Um, But when you expand the playoff, it does a few things. It it includes more people, first of all. It gives goals to teams um, that didn't have that goal when they started the season. I mean, basically, if you're a group of five team, which is roughly half the FBS, when you start a year, you pretty much know you can't make the championship game um you know one team has made the playoff in in nine years and if you go back to the bcs again one group of five team has made it um in in 25 years so uh it gives hope to those teams because they're going to have a guarantee at least one spot if not a couple um they're champions of uh, basically the best group of five team will be in every year so it gives it just includes a lot more teams and that's important And there's a pretty interesting stat. Um, I think most NCAA sports, uh, uh, their postseason tournaments or championships incorporate roughly anywhere from 10 to 20% of the overall teams in that sport, and a four-team playoff incorporating about 3.5% of football teams in the FBS. And with a 12-team, you raise that to more around 10%. And you say so you wow. to give just give a little more and that that is a that was an important statistic used for the committee when they expanded uh and so for all those reasons expansion uh was necessary and then it it obviously gives us uh even though again we might have the same teams in the end it it gives uh it gives those teams um you know a harder uh road to to travel and and get to that point right now they have to win. Um, you know, basically one one game to get to the the title game and then this new one they'll have to win at least two, if not three, uh okay. depending on if they get a buy or not. So uh it it just gives us more exciting games too. And again, going it goes back to money, you know, the 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 CFP right now, four team CFP is worth anywhere from five hundred to seven hundred million dollars. Um a twelve team playoff could be worth as much, they think, as one point five billion dollars. Uh and that's huge, too.
1: Yeah, Ross. Uh, w- w- uh, once again, thanks for joining us. But as you look at the 12-team playoff and the current SEC teams, do you maybe have a current SEC team or OU in Texas that maybe this could affect the most by helping the recruiting and other stuff?
0: Um, like with the expansion? Like yeah. What, 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 the impact of the expansion of the SEC? You know, I – Everybody was uh, the way they the way they formatted the format of the expansion is in a way where you can't have too many teams from one league just because they have six automatic qualifiers for the champions and then you have six at larges. So the most from one league you'd think you'd have would be a champion and probably three at at-largest. So it would be four teams, um, and there's going to be you know if you look back historically the SEC and the Big Ten. Would there would be years where they would have three and maybe one or two years where they would have four teams in, in the CFP. Uh, and that, you know, that's um, – that obviously in, the, in a league like the SEC in the Big Ten, you know, when you start the year, pretty much every team except two or three in those leagues, maybe like a, a Vanderbilt and, yeah. and maybe like a Missouri and maybe like even a Mississippi school – uh, you know, maybe they, they don't have a legitimate shot. Um, and maybe if you go to the Big Ten like a a Northwestern or Rutgers. But outside of that, you know, of those 32 teams that will be in those leagues, tw- a good 25 will start the season with a legitimate shot to to advance to the playoff. Uh, and I'm not saying win the whole thing, but it, at least advance to the playoff. and uh, And that's good. That's good for the league when it comes to – Recruiting—it's—it's um, it's good for the league when it comes to revenue and stuff because we're going to see with the revenue model, the new revenue model that'll probably be coming out with, with the CFP is that um, the more teams you have in, you know, for each team you get more money, the conference gets more money. So it's—it's it's good for the the conference um, as a whole. So if you're in the SEC and you're in the Big Ten, it's—it's um, it's a good thing. Um, it is your champion might have a tougher road to go uh, through a playoff to win it all. But at the same time, you might have two or three more teams in there that um, you wouldn't uh, beforehand.
2: Yeah, with the expansion going on right now in college football, do you think there's any chance that it continues, like, for the SEC or Big Ten to get up to 20 teams, 18, something like that?
0: Yeah, I you know, I always think that's um, that's a possibility. Um uh, you know, I think from the SEC standpoint, they're a little more content with the teams they have now um, at 16. I think the Big Ten is a little more um, interested in maybe continuing discussions of expansion. Not that it's definitely going to happen, but um, there's there's continuing discussions. The, the thing about it is, again, it goes back to money. So, um you know, I'm just using just random figures here. But if the SEC has a hundred million dollars every year to, to distribute among its schools, it's gotta cut that pie into 14 right okay. now. And then it's gonna cut it into two more, 16 when OU and Texas get here. So the overall pie has to increase in order for everybody's slice to uh to be to not to not decrease or to to yeah. grow. And I think right now the conversation, the Big Ten, and it's a conversation that's going on now for Six months, seven months since they added US, USC and UCLA is, can we get the pie um, bigger to add more? And I don't know that they can. Um, the fact that they haven't done it yet tells me they're having trouble getting that pie bigger, getting more money from the TV TV networks. Um, but you never know. So I think you know there are a lot of people in college sports that would tell you that eventually, uh, in the long term, whether that's eight years or twelve years or twenty years that college sports will look very different and that there will be um, potentially two 18 to 20, 22 team conferences that kind of rule the sport and who knows, go off and, and do their own thing.
1: Yeah. Hey Ross, just wanted to get your thoughts on NIL. We're, we're a year into it now. Um, we've seen obviously the Jaden Rashada stuff and just some other stuff. How after a year now, how, in your opinion, like, is it about what you thought it would be or, uh, worse or, or just kind of your thoughts on it?
0: Well, I, I think that, um, at a lot of places it's, uh, it's being used more than, than, um, than I thought probably, um, you know, the whole collective piece, the booster donor collectives, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it has grown pretty exponentially and probably didn't, didn't expect it to grow at the rate that it has as quickly as it has. Um, but there is a reason the NCA had been spending the last four years or so fighting against this in, in up here in DC fighting Congress to, to create some kind of rule because with college sports, specifically college football and basketball, You have something, you have a dynamic that you don't have in other professional sports, which is recruiting. And we're seeing um, that when you introduce the ability to legally pay players, then um, that's going to impact recruiting. And that's what we've seen. Um, I think we're also in an era that's, I like to call it, like a purgatory between amateurism and professionalism that's where college sports kind of finds itself and uh, we're going to have an asterisk probably on this era because we're going to probably move beyond the NIL era at some point where it's going to be a revenue sharing uh, to college athletes or they're going to be employees of their schools or something or an entity uh, tethered to their school so um, I think we're in a really interesting era I don't know how long it's going to last given the court cases that are that are ongoing, um, in in other employment um, movements to, to make athletes employment employees, uh, it, it's it's it is it's been an interesting year to follow, and um, I I think that every every school is is using nil a little differently, and that's what partly because of state laws are different, but also mm-hmm. because. Some schools just don't have the donor as big of donor base or as active of a, of a donor base. Um, so, you know, you've got some schools that are spending, you know, millions and millions of dollars, three, five, eight million dollars on their football team. And some schools are spending eight hundred thousand dollars on their football yeah. team. So it just it's such a big, wide variance uh, in the end, though. I don't know how much of an impact it's going to have on who wins and loses. I, I think that the transfer portal combined combined with NIL has had a bigger impact. And you saw that this year with, for instance, USC uh, and in their transfer class that they amassed, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't do that just a few years ago, but they were able to do that this year. Tennessee is, is the same. So, You're seeing those teams – where it's impacting is you're seeing those teams uh, that can quickly amass transfers, maybe through use of an IL, um, you know, be able to turn a roster very quickly.
2: Yeah, Ross, we just got a couple more questions for you. Uh, What's your – in your opinion, what's the greatest college football team of all time, like a single-season national champion or whatever?
0: Uh, Oh, uh, you know – I used to cover LSU uh, for years. So uh, my last year covering them was, was uh, 2018, but I was, but the 2019 team, the next year that won the championship with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and uh, Justin Jefferson, they, they uh, I, I basically, you know, covered that team like a beat writer about when we kind of knew where that team was going. And, you know, that was fun uh, to cover that, cover that team. They were incredible. And, it's hard not to say them, you know, it's kind of recency Uh bias, but you see what those players are now doing in the NFL and it's pretty incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ross. So, um, who is like the greatest player you ever covered in the sec throughout your time covering it?
0: Um, you know, uh, I tell people, I tell people this story a lot. I, um, I, I don't, uh, I don't get awed a whole lot these days by being around a coach or player just because, you know, I'm, a, I'm around them uh, quite a bit with my job, whether it's, you know, Nick Saban or Davos Sweeney or, or Bryce Young or whatever. It's just, to me, it's a, kind of another player and coach, it's just a job. But there's been one player that when I spent time with him uh, on his school's campus, um, I felt cool, uh, <laughs> and, and that was Joe Burrow. Uh, I figured uh, you know, he's, he's just that. got uh, <laughs> he's just got something about him uh, that that uh, is endearing because he's just kind of this everyman guy down to earth. Uh, and it was fun to kind of hang out with him a couple of times I did on LSU's campus.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Well, Ross, thanks again, man, for joining us. We really appreciate it. I know you're crazy busy, but for you to take time to do this, we're very grateful. Thank you, sir. Yeah, no problem.
0: All, all guys, anytime.
1: All right, man. Have a good one. Do something! Yes, please do something and subscribe to our YouTube channel by clicking that button below. Until next time, boomer.